So last time we talked a couple weeks ago, Russell, you were telling me, you know, you might go out for an early training session this time of year. I, uh, you know, we touched on the new puppy performance quite a bit last time, but we ended it by talking, you know, transitioning into um, temperature control, both in the summertime training. And then as we get into the duck season with, you know, being in cold water, being in cold temperatures, wind, chill, all that. This time of year, though. I mean, when it's 109 degrees during the day, it doesn't get cool until the moon's out, right? Like, it's hot. Right. So right. Is, is, is it safe to do it at 70 degrees in the morning for an hour and then let them rest all day? Or what would you tell somebody as far as the conditioning of a dog in these temps? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, it, you got to be, this time of year, you have to really be careful in terms of, of conditioning your dog. That It needs to be done. And it's, you know, it's, I'm going to say it's not only important from their physical health, but they're, you know, a lot of these high drive dogs, you know, their daily outlet is this, this, con, this uh, conditioning, you know, so it's from a mental standpoint, it really helps them. But we have to think about in terms of, of when do we get them out there where they can uh, condition in a safe manner. And as you just mentioned, I mean, really are sometimes we, we must look at it that early morning is is the only time we have that we're going to be able to do that because uh you know if it's if it's you know 100 if it's 100 plus degrees at at five or six or seven o'clock um you know that is the air that those dogs are breathing in and uh most of their you know their thermal regulation is based on sort of a, a heat dissipation and and that's done through respiration. Most of their, their heat is lost through the respir- uh, respiration system. And if they're, bre- if they're breathing in air that's 105, you know, 106, 107 degrees, they're not cooling off. That's just that, that's building up their, their heat load. And uh, it doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take long to get a dog in trouble. Uh, so if we, you know, if we look at that, you know, when, when can we get out there and, and allow the dog to really exercise? It's getting out early, getting out of bed, getting the dog out, letting him get his exercise in, come back, hydrate the dog, let it cool down, feed it, and, uh, and then, you know, go out, go out again the next day. Now, with that, if they're doing some water training, um, they will, they, you know, they can buy a, a, a little bit of, let's say, say, um, you know, they can buy a little bit of, of thermal regulation aid through evaporative cooling. You know, the dog gets wet, they get out, they can, you know, they're going to cool down sort of, you know, very much like us sweating, right? Dogs don't have that, that ability, but if we're doing water work, they can get in the water, get out, and they're going to, they're, it's going to help them. But if that, you know, again, if, if that water temp, if it's shallow water, uh, you know, that water may be, you know, 90 plus degrees uh, as well. So they're not going to be cool. It's not going to help them cool down that much in terms of jumping in 90 or, you know, 92, 93 degree water. And, uh, so we have to, we really have to be careful with the, with the dogs this time of year. Uh, we want to, to keep them in as good a condition as we can. Uh, but at the same time, we want to keep them safe. If you do have a pond or a training facility that has water (laughs) that's cooler than that, that you can regulate and keep it cool. Is it is it detrimental to a dog, a sporting dog's 
body, if he, if he or she is going from 100 or let's say 90 to 100 degrees outside, jumping in that cold water, coming out, shaking off, getting that heat back in them, can that hurt them? Do you even want to mess with that if you do have access to cooler water? Well, you know, and, and there's a big difference in, in basically the response <laughs> to, cold, to cold water versus cool water, right? If that, if that water is 75, you know, 75 degrees, that's cool compared to 95 degrees, but it's not cold water in terms of that. I mean, you know, in terms of what we, what we worry about is, you know, I'm going to say taking a, taking a dog that's overheated and then dunking it into a ice bath. Now, if, if we have a dog in trouble, um, you know, we want to, we want to get that body temp lowered and we may have to resort, resort to a, to an ice plunge. Uh, but it's not an ideal standpoint, but no, if we're talking about just cool water, you know, 70, you know, 70, 75 degree, uh, water, that's a, it's an excellent opportunity to, to do some more, let's say warm water conditioning, uh, in terms of utilizing that to pull heat from their bodies. Uh, 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 when it comes to hydration, you go out and you train, you come back, you have a dog that might go real aggressive at the water bowl. Um, for the first minute and get some water in him or her. You've also alluded on here before, Russell, that you can, you know, put a little moisture and water on their food to get them more hydration throughout the feeding periods. Right. Um, how can we ensure that our dogs are hydrated though this time of year when they're not, if they're not active a lot of part of the day and they're not, you know, doing that, hey, a lot of energy exerted and right. they come back and lick up the water, mop it up real fast. How can we keep them? Are there some, do you recommend some of these um, supplements out there? But it, it's kind of hard if you're a working man or working woman, your dog's in the kennel after a morning training session. Do they get dehydrated when it's like that? I know that we can keep, you know, the temperature control of an indoor facility regulated, but when it's this heat of the day and they're laid up in the shade, is there anything that you could tell our listeners to to regulate and manage their hydration levels when they're actually not in that aggressive watering mode after a workout? Yeah. So, it, it, yeah. In terms of in terms of that, I, I I think it is important to to keep a handle on how well your dog is drinking. Just you know, same as same as when it comes to their eating. Uh, you know, in in terms of that, not you know, in terms of that, I know a lot of people use like I'm going to say automatic waters and things of that nature, and certainly they they work well. Um, but I really like it. You know, if if it's possible to keep clean, fresh water in front of them. I like to be able to have it, you know, in a system that, that I can moderate, you know, manage like how much, are, how much are they drinking? Uh, you know, so I use, you know, stainless steel buckets for my water. Uh, that way I can get an idea of how much water they're drinking. And if I need to take extra steps and, and ensuring that they get a, the proper amount. Now you mentioned one thing about, you know, a dog coming back in that's panning really hard and, and, and uh, just giving them free access to water. I don't like to. I don't like to see that from a, a standpoint that if that dog is is panning sort of in an uncontrolled manner, you know, if we just give them free access to water at that particular moment, we we you know, there's a possibility of, of increased possibility of aspiration. Uh, so I like to. I like to to maybe you know give those dogs. A little bit of water via a squirt bottle or some something you know out of my hand, and then let them let their respiration rate sort of get under control, and then give them water. 
give them free access and let them hydrate really well. Because if they're, if they're just basically sitting there coming in with an uncontrolled pant, you know, they're basically trying to dissipate heat through that. Not, you know, they're not looking for oxygen. They're looking to get rid of heat. And, oh, uh, that makes sense. and, uh, you know, if we can, we can bring them into a, like a shaded area, just let them, you know, just give them a couple of three, you know, five minutes to just, you know, cool down a little bit. Then we can bring out some, some, uh, cool water, bring to, uh, bring that uh, to them. And then that's going to help them, you know, lose, that's going to, uh, help them lose that heat as well, because it, the, their bodies are going to heat up that water that they just took in. Uh, and that's going to pull, you know, heat from their body. But, but, uh, you know, you, you bring a dog in from a, from a, a, a training, training session or conditioning session, and they're panning uncontrollably. We need to let those dogs, you know, I'm going to say cool down just for a little bit and get their breathing on, in check before we start letting them just have free access to water. So you transition that now to a, a 40 degree day on a snow goose hunt where a dog is picking up a hundred birds and he's panting or she's panting now, but they're, is it still trying to get rid of heat because they've worked out so much that their body temperature has risen, even though the air temperature is, that, is low. Yeah, so, absolutely. You, so you yeah, still they, control their water on a hunt like that and don't just let them gulp it down. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of any time we have a dog that's, that's, you know, whether it's 20 degrees or whether it's 80 degrees or 90 degrees, if we have a dog that's panning hard, most likely what they're, they're trying to do is dissipate heat. That's, a, that's their most effective radiator is, is basically through their panning. And we want to make sure that, that that panning is, is reaches at least a controlled and they may still be breathing hard, but it's not a, you know, it's not an uncontrolled pant um, before we give them water. And, you know, in terms of, of whether we're talking about, you know, dogs that are working in 20 degrees or whether they're walking, working in 90 degrees, when they're active, they're building up heat. They generate a lot of heat when they're active. Now, with that, do we have to be as careful when it's 20 degrees as we do when it's 90? No. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, that air temp is, is going to help them dissipate uh, heat in a much more effective manner. But it doesn't mean that they're not getting hot. I mean, we can, we can still have dogs that get in trouble even if it's, you know, 20 degrees. When you say get in trouble, Mr. Russ, what do you mean? Give our listeners what can happen when a dog's body temperature gets high, stays high uh, through a training day or something where they're exerting a lot of energy in a hot day like that. And it, it, and there's no, there's Chad, there's really no absolute point where we can say this dog is, is in trouble until it is. I mean, in terms of that, some dogs are, are far more resistant to uh, hypothermia than others. Uh, but, but certainly a dog that's under, you know, I'm going to say in a hypothermic state, you know, when, when, when we see them starting to become, uh, you know, let's say unstable, that dog is in trouble in terms of like get wobbly. Um, you know, that dog is in trouble and that it can lead on to, you know, in terms of heat stroke can result in death. And, uh, you know, we, we have to pay very close attention to that dog and make sure that we're we're allowing it it to to control itself because with these high drive dogs their heart the last thing they want to do is quit right but sometimes we have to say hey you know let's back it down and give them give them five ten minutes of rest 
in order for them to dissipate out some of this heat that they build up and uh, and keep them out of the, you know keep them out of trouble i mean we we, we have dogs that um you know i'm going to say especially in the in the waterfowl world we have lots of dogs that are that are sort of living dual lives they they live inside uh with us you know all the time so this time of year we've got our air conditioning you know systems going they're laying around in cool air we come home we get them out we take them out it's 90 you know it's 95 100 degrees outside and you know those dogs may may not is readily you know they're certainly not ready to go um like they would be if if they were living outside uh, so you know in terms of that you have to take into consideration what is the dog's normal you know day-to-day environmental exposures if they're living inside in air conditioning we have to be much more careful with them than we do if that dog's you know living in an indoor outdoor uh, kennel setting where he's he's more used to that environment um, as human beings we want to lose some weight we put on you know, in high school wrestling, we would put on gar- hefty garbage bags and ride a bike in a sauna to, to make weight as dangerous as that is. And there's been a lot of scientific study on this now. Now, now we sit there and we try to go on a crash course diet. And we work out hard. We put all these heavy clothes on because it makes us sweat. But really, we're just losing water weight. And we're really right. not doing the long-term effect that our body needs to maintain a lower weight. So when it comes right. to an overweight dog, Russ, your dog's put on a few pounds. How important is this this temperature control now when that dog has extra fat on his or her body? And we're slowly, hopefully slowly, managing that and trying to get it down to be in shape for the season. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly the the I'm gonna say the added <laughs> weight to dogs is just an insulation, you know, so it makes it harder for them to dissipate heat. Um and we have to be we have to be really careful with a with a a dog that maybe is carrying some extra weight, and um, you know, like you like you mentioned in terms of the the human, a lot of the times what we will do is sort of falsely lose weight through through sweating. We lose water weight and electrolytes. The dogs don't you know they don't sweat the way we do. So in terms of that, the the best way to approach that if you if you've got a dog that's got some extra pounds on it you need to nutritionally manage that dog to where he's lost he's he's down to a you know a lean trim condition before you really get into heavy conditioning now we can you know it's not to say we can't exercise them we can and help them burn more calories but you need to be aware that if it's uh, you know if it's warmer conditions like you know right now end of july early august uh we need to be really careful with those dogs that are that are carrying some extra weight and it's better to get rid of the extra weight through proper diet management and then we can step up the the conditioning uh regime uh but it you know we don't need to get that dog out and say we're going to lose this weight strictly through increasing our exercise so it's, now, it's, it goes hand in hand. Now, when it goes hand in hand and transitions into the fall and winter now, you talk about how dogs retain heat. They have some insulation to where they don't really sweat, so they're not losing that heat through the same methods that a human being does. When we have our dogs in an environment, Mr. Russ, when it's cold out, they're swimming in cold water continuously, then coming back in. Is it smart and proper to take precautionary measurements when they're in that blind to make them more comfortable and uh, of course secure and safe during the hunt 
as opposed to, you know, comfort at the same time. But do you put a buddy heater on them? Do you have like a chamois material that you can dry them off in between each swim? Or are dogs fine? They're built for this and they can swim in those cold temperatures and be fine. Well, sir, I, I mean, certainly they are not as a higher risk as, you know, we are. They do have, it's, it's really important in terms of, of their skin and coat health. Uh, that's where that's where one of the the reasons that that's a very very important component of their their existence, um, in terms of that, you know, they're they're a lot of our retrievers. Their their uh, hair is sort of water resistant, their skin are sort of water resistant, and they're and it's insulated, so it does help them with that. Doesn't mean that they're they don't they can't get in trouble. They certainly can get in trouble, and. Um, you know, with that, if it's a really nasty day, the wind's blowing hard, they get wet, they, you know, they come up and sit in the, sit in the, the boat or on a stump out of the water out, and they're right out in the middle of the wind. Uh, certainly that's pulling a lot of heat out of their body. And with that, they're going to burn a lot of energy. So, you know, with that, we, we do need to take that into consideration uh, in that winter time, if we're, we're hunting in some really harsh environments. We need to realize that they're going to be burning more energy than they do normally. So, uh, you know, with that, we need to make sure that we're a either increasing the amount of of calories, so offering a, a little bit larger meal, or shifting up to a more caloric dense diet to to ensure that they've got the the right calories. Um, but you know, with that said, it, it has to be pretty pretty nasty environments before. Um, we really start becoming overly concerned with hypothermia, uh, but we do have to we do have to monitor it in terms of that because if they're you know if they're a a um, you know depending on what type of dog you're you're hunting with um, you know if we've got a, a really short haired dog and it's it's kind of nasty nasty weather they're not gonna re- they're not gonna be able to retain as much heat as 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 a you know a, a thicker coated dog and uh, we need to take that into consideration certainly like if you have the ability to take a chamois and wipe some of that water off of them uh, when they come back that helps uh it's not a it's not an absolute um but you know it certainly it certainly helps because it's not going to you know allow as much of that water to freeze on their on their hair and uh, have an ice build up on that dog what protocol have yourself and your team taken in the development of the diets and nutritional plans at Yukonuba to ensure these healthy coats and skin for this type of lifestyle of being in cold water and, 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 you know, bitter temperatures for a good portion of the year? Yeah. So certainly, certainly with, uh, with the waterfowl dogs, especially, we know that that skin and coat health is a critical component of, of their functionality. Um, so in terms of that, uh, I work a lot with the, the Derm group and the, both the global from the uh, Discover team and looking at, at, you know, what nutrients do we need to, to focus on in terms of improving skin and coat health in, in dogs. And, um, you know, we do, some, we do some of that. Uh, it, it's a little bit different area, uh, Chad, but I, I work a lot with like the search and rescue dogs actually looking at how do we keep those dogs uh, clean in terms of when they deploy, uh, because, you know, it, it's a little bit different than, than say, a, a waterfowl dog, but not in a sense. So in terms of, of 
those search and rescue dogs get a lot of bats, right? They come out of the, they come out of a deployment, they come back in, they get cleaned up with a, with a decontamination bath. And if we think about the, the waterfowl dogs, so they're getting low detergent washes, uh, like high frequency, low detergent washes. Because if we, if we just basically talk about jumping in the water, that is a low detergent bath. And so with that, when that, when that dog comes out, uh, you know, he's basically got to dry down. And uh, any time we start talking about the water, removing the, the lipids from the skin, it dries the skin out. And that can lead to, you know, skin problems. That's where we, we start seeing, you know, dogs that can, can get a little more, uh, you know, they start itching a little bit more, scratching a little bit more. Uh, but if we're, if we're talking about a really high active retrieving dog, you know, every time they jump in the water, that is, you know, we can consider that sort of a low detergent bath. It's not, you know, we're not using detergents to remove uh, materials from its hair and skin. But the water does some of that, so it is important when we think about uh, you know a, a, a high a high active retriever dog to make sure that that we're talking about the the proper types of fats in that diet the the you know minerals like zinc and selenium that are that are associated with skin health uh, all of those are all of those are important and and we have to look at that for these sporting dogs that that's an important component of their diet is these nutrients that aid in maintaining skin and, and coat health. I don't when you, it, when, no, it's perfect. I, I, I really want to get into like, um, you know, the things we take for granted of a duck dog of how tough they are. Um, you know, a lot of times we put a soaking wet dog in a boat or in the back of a kennel in an open bed of a truck tied down, of course. But that cold air is hitting them. We have a kennel cover on it for extra protection. Well, you said just a couple minutes ago, Mr. Russ, that, you know, hypothermia is not as, is not as recognizable or, or that's the wrong word, but it's not going to happen as easy on these dogs as, you know, the being in higher heat in the summertime is going to affect right. them. But how, how can that cold air affect a dog if he or she's still soaking wet and we're traveling at high speeds, letting that, that wind or that brisk air hit them constantly? Yeah. So certainly, certainly when we add the wind component to it, uh, that, that that dramatically reduces down what that I'm going to say the the I'm going to say the the heat index if we if we call it that you know, chill index uh, you know in terms of that if their skin is 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 their skin and coat is wet and we're you know putting either high winds uh, via natural you know the wind blowing or we have them in the back of a truck or or in a boat uh, they certainly are losing a lot more heat than than uh what they would be if if they're just sitting sitting still beside us uh so with that you know they're they're increasing the amount of energy that they burn and under you know under the the really severe conditions we could have a dog that starts you know dropping down into a hypothermia uh, type of a position and certainly with the the younger dogs that don't have as you know let's just say they don't have as much insulation as as an adult dog or or perhaps they're still transitioning off of that kind of real fine puppy fur to to more adult type hair um you know we have to be more careful with them uh than we do with the adults but 
but all the all the dogs we need to be aware that that uh you know it's not a i'm going to say it's not a, a non-risk when we start talking about a dog being out in in very cold harsh conditions especially when we when we add uh wet wet fur to it do you do you ever um educate people on how wild dogs perform or are there studies done by your group of how a coyote or a wolf maybe even the wild dogs of africa where it gets very hot over there um the 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 lifestyle or the timing schedule that they have when they're out hunting how they are denned up and staying cool in the heat of the day and how they do need to eat more and regulate their body temperature when it's cold out how how much does that play in the scientific research to feed today's sporting dog when the history shows that they are you know uh, come you know they do come from the an- their ancestors of a quote unquote wild dog. Right. Uh, yeah. So in terms of of, of that, uh, me personally, I'm not involved with with. You know, I'm going to say any research that involves. I'm going to say wild canid models. Uh, certainly, there are people that look at. They do look at that, um, uh, and and I'm going to say some of their practices. Um, do I do I sort of read some of that literature? Absolutely, you know, in terms of of where you know wild dogs, the wild dogs of Africa, you know, in the middle of the day they are, you know, they're sort of digging holes and and utilizing the the ground cool the the uh, cool ground to sort of pull out the heat from their bodies and staying in the shade. Uh, you know, certainly that is something that we should take into consideration and not not have our dogs out there in the middle of the day trying to to condition those you know that's not an ideal time um but you know in terms of that you know our as i as i mentioned our domestic dogs are are far from some of their wild ancestors and uh and you know i'm going to say in terms of some of our environmental uh components that we put on them whether we we have them living in our house or, or whether we we basically are providing a, um, you know, more of a, a indoor outdoor kennel run. A lot of times, even if they're if, if they're in the kennel, we have you know fans set up that are helping them stay cool. Uh, shaded you know shaded areas where the concrete stays cool, and they can use the concrete to 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 sort of dissipate heat out of their their bodies. Um, you know, all of those all of those things come into to play. And it's really in terms of, of thermal management, it is one of those where they are very dependent upon us to, uh, I'm going to say, use our, use our brains to make sure that we're keeping them safe. Because these, these dogs, as you know, these dogs love to work, right? They're, they are ready to go at any time we ask them to get out, they're ready to go. And you know, with that said, if it's, if it's warm weather, like it is right now, you know, if they, people want to condition their dog, they need to get out early in the morning and you utilize the fact that it is cooler at that period of time, get their work in, bring them back, let them get cooled down and then, and then be ready to go the next day. As, as you mentioned, a lot of times this time of year, it's not cooling down till, you know, way after the sun goes down and the moon's up. Right. So, and not not that many of us are are trying to condition their dogs by moonlight, um, 
but we do we can take advantage of the fact that a lot of times you know at daylight you know that first couple hours of the daylight is as cool as it's going to be for that day and if we want to get the dogs out in condition and that's what we really should be targeting is to is to you know get ourselves out of bed get the dogs out condition them bring them back get them cooled down fed and and allow them just to sort of hang out the rest of the day what does the research show, Mr. Russ, on pads now and heat transfer through the feet of a dog? And how how important is this to keep an eye on of the temperature of the ground, whether it's gravel or concrete or wherever you're training or wherever this dog's living? How do we maintain, um, you know, the proper balance of the right temperature going through their pads? Yeah, so in, in terms of that, it's certainly the, the surface temp that they're operating on is is an important consideration uh you know i think in terms of, of if we're looking at where do dogs you know where do dogs lose the majority of their heat uh you know the the pad is a component but it's not the most i, I would say it's not the greatest point of of heat dissipation for the dog that's still going to come in terms of their um i'm going to say you know their their close their extremities, their ears, and their their mouths, and certainly the the respiration system is where most of that heat is being pushed out. Uh, but it it it's certainly the you know the it's particularly the front and rear legs. Uh, they're they're losing heat there where their their blood vessels are close to the skin. Their ears where their the blood vessels are close to their skin. They are losing heat there as well as their pads, but. But, uh, you know, with that said, we do have to, to take into consideration what that temp is, because if it's, if it's hot, the surface that they're standing on is hot, they can absorb heat into their body through their feet. So if it, it, you know, when we start talking about, you know, a dog standing on concrete or asphalt or gravel, um, you know, that, that material gets hot and they can absorb the heat right through their, you know, as you mentioned, right through their paws into their body and that's just much that much more heat that they've got to lose this is kind of a uh, i'm getting some insight personally but i also have seen it in a lot of duck camps that i go to um and training facilities this time of year of shedding and how some dogs do it more than other dogs is this natural for a sporting dog let's talk about labradors mainly i have a yellow lab that sheds profusely his brother doesn't as much is this a genetic thing can it be managed and maintained and prevented if you have a dog that you want to live in the house but the shedding is so amazing you know just too much that it just covers everything are there things that we could provide through a eucanuba style diet um uh salon visits combing that dog more often than not but is there is it just is that just the way it is for some dogs that they are going to shed more than others yeah there i mean certainly there's a genetic component to that and um you know are there things that that will help you mentioned one in terms of of frequent you know brushing that helps i'm going to say it doesn't reduce the amount they are shedding it just reduce it basically tries to manage where that hair is going so instead of on the floor it's going into that brush and we can go ahead and just throw that into the into the trash and and sort of reduce down the amount of shedding that's going on in the house um in terms of of that certainly there's been there's been um 
studies that have shown that nutrition can influence uh, the amount of shedding that takes takes place. And, you know, with that certain, uh, you know, I'm going to say certain diets are going to be more beneficial in that than others. But in, in terms of uh, do we have unique components to our, our foods, specifically targeting reduced shedding, we don't uh, in terms of that. We have, we do have, you know, I'm going to say in terms of like the essential fatty acids um, and other, uh, you know, vitamins and minerals that, that specifically target uh, aiding skin health. Yes, we, we include all those. And, and one, I think one component to think to, that people don't really think about in terms of, of nutrition with skin and coat uh, for the dog is if you think about from a, a standpoint, we think a lot of times around muscle when we think protein, right? You hear, you hear talk about protein to support muscle health. But if we, if we look at that, a lot of times when we're, when we're talking about a, a, a dog, you know, that 25 to 35% of that protein that that dog eats is going directly to support their skin and coat. So with that, that the protein component of it becomes a very, very important uh, aspect when it comes to the health of that, that skin and coat for the dog. And, and when we think about, you know, these dogs, we're talking about like a, a you know, waterfowl dog um, because they're, they are being exposed to, to the, you know, I'm going to say a lot of times continuous water exposure, you know, that, that percentage may go actually go up. So at least 25% of that protein intake of every, every meal is for the skin and coat. Yeah. For the health of the skin and coat. Yeah. And we don't, we, we don't, we don't talk about that enough, Chad. I mean, it, it is really, it's one of those where it, it's sort of a, uh, it's a known, it's a known fact, but it just gets talked about very little. That's why the, the, the protein quality of a diet is, is very important. Uh, particularly for these types of dogs where they, they depend a lot upon their skin and coat to help them do what they need to, you know, what they're, what they were bred to do. What are some of the first things that you, that stand out as a quote unquote healthy coat? Uh, what is it oily? Is it dry? Is it, is it full and thick? Like obviously you start to see spotting and loss of hair. We got an issue, but what are some of the things that we can look at our dog and, Oh yeah, she or he looks great, and their coat is healthy. Yeah, so I, I, you know, and I think we've all, you know, we've all seen it when, when, uh, you know, we for these types of dogs, if we see a, a, a really, I'm going to say a, a really shiny, thick coat, right? That's a, that's a good indication that that dog's doing pretty well, and uh, we don't want to see, you know, we don't want to see dogs with sort of dry really rough feeling coats. Uh, now certain, certain breeds are, they have more of that than, than others. Um, but, you know, in terms of, of, of you know, a, a healthy Labrador, I mean, we really like to see whether we're talking about, you know, regardless of what color they are, a really thick, shiny coat, right? If we see that, chances are that dog's in, in pretty good shape. Thick and shiny. Shininess is caused through the right amount of oils in the skin and the hair that are giving right. it kind of a glowing effect. Yeah, and we don't. I, I mean, you mentioned about an oily coat. We don't want a, a dog that that you know looks, 
you know, the, I'm going to say that's really oily, but we want it to be, you know, real sl slick and shiny. You know, almost, uh, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about that, you know, that black lab, we wanted it to look like a shining piece of coal, right? Just shiny. And when you start talking about, you know, our prior comments about the ways dogs communicate to us is that we got to use our brains because they can't just come out and tell us what are we looking for if something is bugging them externally, uh, uh, a massive amount of itching, biting at different parts of their body. What, what are some of the signs that a dog owner can start to pick up on that something might not be right and there is some un discomfort setting in? Yeah, certainly. I mean, certainly, uh, I'm going to say a lot of, of, a lot of itching uh, or a lot of scratching. Uh, anytime, you know, in terms of, of basically just using our own eyes, you know, we, we, have, we have areas where the, the hair is not as thick as others, so we can, you know, take, a, take advantage on the inside of their, their flanks. Uh, under their arm, you know, uh, the underneath in terms of their, their arms. Um, we take a look at that and, and we don't want to see like really red, you know, reddening of the, of the skin, um, things of that nature. We want to see, you know, really nice, unirritated skin. And, and certainly if they're doing a lot of scratching or a lot of chewing, um, you know, it, it, it certainly is suggesting that they're having some skin irritation. It's Russell Kelly. It's you Canuba, the duck dogs podcast series. The man just understands dogs. That's why we have him on here. Not only is he a nice gentleman, he just gets it. I want to get into next time, Mr. Russell nutrition as it pertains to vision, audio, the audio part of a dog. And what can we expect from our dog and are our expectations to high in a lot of instances when we're out in the field of what that dog he or she can see what they can hear are we doing them an injustice by at a, on a 700 blind blind retrieve 700 yard blind retrieve can they really see our arm up in the air how good is a lab's vision and through nutrition and a diet like you guys are mastering at Yukonuba, can we improve their vision throughout the years depending on their genetics and their bloodlines can food help them in the audio department, in the vision. I'd like to get into this because I, like I talked about before to you many times, Mr. Russ, is that they blow my mind. They're amazing at they what are, they can do. Yeah. And they I are just, an amazing species. They're amazing. So next time we, next time we'll uh, have Russell back on you can duck dogs podcast here at the foul life. I want to talk about vision and audio. I just got my vision done. Mr. Russ, I had lens extract, Lens extracting surgery. They went in, cut my lenses out, and put artificial lenses in there. Some people refer to it as the older we get as cataracts. I uh, I got approved for it in my 40s, and my vision went from 2040 to 2015 and 2020. So now I'm seeing better than ever. It helps me in everything that I do on a daily basis. I just want to talk about dogs. Can what are were they seeing? Do they see in color? Can we improve their vision? Are our expectations too high? And then I want to talk about hearing as well when we have you back on. Thank you for being here, my friend. Uh, it's always a pleasure. We will be back with another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, Yukonuba Duck Dog Series with Russell Kelly. Can't wait for you all to hear what we have coming up with these guys. We're uh, so fired up for the puppy performance, and we are so excited for the fall and winter of 2022, 2023 to see Axel and Duff and Waylon and Slash and Izzy and all of our awesome labs perform. If you have a dog out there, take care of him or her. Hope y'all are having a great summer. I hope you got some words of wisdom from Mr. Russell Kelly today on 
how important it is to train early right now and keep your dogs cool during these 100-degree temperatures. Appreciate y'all listening. Thank you for the downloads, all the subscriptions, Chad Belding. This song is called My Foul Life, 2 a.m. Logic. Logic.